very much related to the um, message this morning is um, a message entitled Benefits of the Death of Christ for Believers. There are many benefits for the believers. The one first experiential one that I tried to highlight was the forgiveness of sins from Ephesians 1.14. If you're remembering back to that sermon, there are um, other benefits in the present from redemption, that is the application of the, that redemption that he accomplished includes uh, uh, justification, union with Christ, sanctification, adoption, and the hope of glory. So the eagerly waiting the adoption that is the, the, the resurrection of our bodies, which is the full payment. We get some now and some is reserved for the future. Three benefits I want to highlight is are these. The first is the death of Christ benefits believers by delivering them from the condemning wrath of God, from the condemning wrath of God. Now, wrath is God's just indignation against sin and sinners, which embodies itself in punishment. What does wrath look like in execution? It's actual punishment, real punishment. It's his holy anger against sin which leads him justly to punishment. So I'm saying the death of Christ benefits believers by delivering us or them from the condemning wrath of God. Ephesians 2.3, Paul talking to the Ephesians about their unconverted state says, by nature, you were children of wrath, even as the rest. Paul did not say that by sinful habit, you were children of wrath, or by disobedience, you were children of wrath, but or by personal guilt, you were children of wrath. We are not children of wrath only due to what we inevitably do, that is sin. We are the legitimate heirs of wrath. We ought to be punished because we all inherit polluted human nature. We are children, that's what he means by children of wrath. We inherit this polluted state and some guilt by virtue of Adam's sin, who was our representative This we call original sin, which includes the guilt of Adam's sin and the pollution of human nature. However, proving that the death of Christ benefits believers by delivering us from the wrath, from the uh, condemning wrath of God, uh, is very easy. There is therefore now, everybody knows the rest, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The condemning wrath of God came upon the incarnate mediator on the cross in our stead, in our place, so that we, in his person, were condemned, and the condemning wrath of God has nothing to do with us. Believers are rescued from wrath. In hymn 190, verse 3, it says, Blessed Through endless ages, be the precious stream which from endless torments did the church redeem. We are rescued from endless torments. We are redeemed by the precious stream, the 
the blood of our Savior. The second benefit is this, the benefit of Christ, the death of Christ benefits believers by delivering us from the guilt of sin, okay? So condemning wrath of sin is going to come upon all unbelievers in the future. Condemning wrath of sin came upon the mediator uh, during his sufferings for us. But this second benefit is slightly different. That condemnation that's coming to all unbelievers won't come upon us. The condemnation that we should have gotten was received by the Son of God. The condemning wrath of God terminated on the Son of God for us, propitiating the wrath from us and taking it himself. But this benefit is slightly different. It says this, the death of Christ benefits believers by by delivering them from the guilt of sin. From the guilt of sin. Now, guilt, what does that mean? It means to be justly liable for punishment, okay? So we're delivered from the condemning wrath of God. Christ became a curse for us. But we're also delivered from the guilt of sin. Are we delivered from sin in its entirety in this life? No, we're not delivered from the presence of sin. By the way, deliverance from the presence of sin is in the future, either absent from the body, present with the Lord, or second coming resurrection. But I'm saying this, though we're not delivered from the presence of sin, and though we still do sin, we aren't therefore, by virtue of our sins, again, justly liable for the condemning wrath of God. In other words, our sins though in and of themselves are worthy of the condemning wrath of God, because we're covered by Christ, because he lived and died for us, they don't incur the guilt, the just liability, unto the condemning wrath of God. That's why we say there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I don't know if I've said this before, but I met a man many years ago, I think I have used this, uh, and he was a pastor of a church that, uh, no longer exists, uh, a long time ago. And um, guys at our church, some of you know these two guys, were handing out invitations to our church along with a tract. And the pastor read the tract and he goes, oh man, these guys are Calvinists. Uh, it's, it's funny, the Calvinists were evangelizing the Armenians uh, at a city park. We started meeting because he was really angry. He said, tell your guys, get off my guy's back or whatever. Um, so I, I did. I said, they're taken. They're already in another church. Their pastor's here. Just leave them alone. We started meeting, and what we were meeting about was really redemption and salvation and, and the security of our redemption in Christ, whether we have it or, or not. And I remember t- talking to him about losing one's salvation. You know, that's, He was a person that believed that. He used to preach it quite often. And so I gave some illustrations. I don't know all the illustrations I gave, but the point of the illustrations were, so you're saying that a person could be in Christ, sins forgiven, going to heaven, and the next day sin, become guilty, that is justly liable for punishment, and actually actually and personally receive the just condemnation of the divine wrath in the future. And he said, yes. And I said, what good's Jesus then? 
or something. I don't know exactly what I said. But what I'm saying here is, no, you can't do, you can't sin your way out of Jesus. You can't sin your way out of no condemnation. You can't sin your way out of justification. You can sin, and sometimes ugly sins by believers. Remember Psalm 51, the penitent psalm, the penitentiary song? Psalm, it's David confessing his sin of adultery, murder. Believers can, 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 can and do often commit ugly, gross, viable sin, but it doesn't bring the guilty verdict back upon them in this sense. You are justly liable to the condemning wrath of God again. Okay, that's impossible because Jesus hath lived hath died for me. Now, there are many, many hymns where we sing praises to God for this very fact that we are no longer guilty and we can no longer bring the guilt that is the liability to be punished under the just condemning wrath of God upon us. There are many places in our hymnal. I just... I just wrote down a few here, and let me just see if I can go through them. 179, verse 2. Who was the guilty? Who brought this upon thee? Alas, my treason, Jesus hath undone thee. My treason hath undone thee. Twas I, Lord Jesus, I, it was denied thee, I crucified thee. In 181, verse 3, it says this. Whence come these sorrows? Whence this mortal anguish? It is my sins for which thou, Lord, must languish. Yea, all the wrath, the woe, thou dost inherit. This I do merit. See, what we merit, he inherits. We merit all the wrath and the woe. He inherits it. He takes it for us in such a way that it cannot come back Upon us, there is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins and sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains, lose all their guilty stains, lose all their guilty stains three times and sinners plunged beneath the flood lose all their guilty stains. I could keep going. Let's go to one more, maybe two more. Tell me, ye who hear him groaning, was there ever grief like his? Friends through fear his cause disowning, foes insulting his distress. Many hands were raised to wound him. None would interpose to save, but the deepest stroke that pierced him was the stroke that justice gave. Ye who think of sin but lightly, nor suppose the evil great, here may view its nature rightly. Here its guilt may estimate. He took guilt, just liability to punishment, upon himself from others that were worthy of it. Here its guilt may estimate. Mark the sacrifice appointed. See who bears the awful load. Tis the word, the Lord's anointed. Son of man, and Son of God. And the last line, here we have a firm foundation, here the refuge of the lost. Christ's the rock of our salvation. His, the name 
of which we boast, Lamb of God, for sinners wounded, sacrifice to cancel guilt. Hear that? Sacrifice to cancel guilt. How did he cancel guilt? Some might say, well, I don't know if I like that word. There's a better word. What does he mean by it? He took the just liability of punishment that we merited, that we deserved, and he suffered under the just condemning wrath of God. None should ever be confounded who on him their hope have built. There's tons of them. 195, here's another one. Was it for crimes that I had done? He groaned upon the tree. Yes, amazing pity, grace unknown, and love beyond degree. So the second benefit is deliverance from the guilt of sin. And the third is this. The death of Christ benefits believers by delivering them from the dominating power of sin, from the dominating power, not the power of sin, the dominating power of sin, okay? Um, reigning sin, the old Puritans called it. There's remaining sin in believer, and yet there's reigning sin uh, in unbeliever. To have sin so affect the soul that it is dominated by it and cannot be otherwise. We call that reigning sin. That's what we're set free from by Christ's work for us. Believers are set free from the dominating power of sin because of Christ's work for them. Not only is there no condemnation, but we now have the ability by virtue of the work of Christ for us to fight sin and actually win some of the skirmishes and battles, not all of them. We are to fight against fleshly lusts which are waging war against the soul. We're not delivered from the full presence of sin, but the dominating power of sin we are uh, delivered from. In one of the uh, hymns toward the back, it says this, Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke, the dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off, my heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. Okay, not only is this talking about regeneration, which I think it is, but I followed thee. How can you follow if you're in bondage? I'm no longer in bondage. My heart was free. My chains fell off and all that stuff. I'm no longer in bondage to reigning sin. Though I got to deal with remaining sin, it doesn't have that power over me. It doesn't affect me the way it used to. So we should be thankful for that. There's one more benefit of the uh, of the uh, death of Christ for us. Um, condemning wrath of God, he took care of that. Guilt, we can't be guilty unto liability, unto punishment ever again. Um, but it'd be double jeopardy that way, Right? Jesus took the juice for me, and then I got to sit in the electric chair at the end anyway. 
It's like, no, no, two, there's not two electric chairs according to God's just, justice. He either dealt with my sins in Jesus or he's going to deal exclusively with them in me in my pri- as a private person. You don't want this way, you want that way. But he's not going to do both, punish him and punish you. Okay. So once you're in Christ, no condemnation. No, no sin procuring guilt comes our way anyway, uh, uh, anymore. And then the third benefit would be delivering us from the dominating power of sin. There's another benefit to the death of Christ. Not only are we delivered from the condemning wrath of God, not only are we delivered from the procurement of guilt by virtue of our sins, and not only are we delivered from the dominating power of sin, but ultimately we're delivered by virtue of the death of Christ for us from the polluting presence of sin. What's that going to be like? Eye has not seen, neither has ear heard all that the Lord has in store for those who love him. Remember, I've said this before. Let me illustrate that by my week or your week or, you know. No, there's no such, we don't have sinless weeks. The presence and polluting power of sin will no longer be ours. We will be in the eternal state of glory. We'll see him as he is. We'll be made like him. Whatever that means, I want to be there. And the only basis, the only grounds upon which I can have any hope whatsoever that I'm going to get there is Christ and Christ alone for me and for my full Redemption. Well, may those thoughts encourage you and help set the table for the table of the Lord for us. Let's pray. We thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you for the reminder uh, that the condemning wrath of God was exhausted by the Son of God for us on the cross. We thank you that because of this, there is no more guilt uh, unto judgment and condemnation for believers, even though we sin. We thank you that we don't sin like we used to. The, the uh, reigning sin has been dethroned. Sin yet remains. There is that law, that principle that's still within us that caused the mature apostle to agonize as he wrote Romans 7, depicting for us the true state of a really redeemed person, on the one hand desiring the law of God and the glory of God, on the other hand desiring the things of flesh. We thank you for the benefit that um, ultimately we're going to land in glory land, clothed in, uh, in immortality, not able to sin, able only not to sin, whatever that means. We, we know what it means in theory, but certainly not in practice. By the blessing of the Spirit of Jesus, so bless the table, the bread and the cup, that our souls would be nourished. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.